Well, I grew up watching uh, rugby with my dad and my pop. Uh, my pop was Welsh, so I've grown up with a soft spot for the Welsh rugby team. Now, in 2003, the World Cup of Rugby was held in Sydney, and to get tickets, uh, you had to put your name in a drawer, and you had to wait to see what game you were allocated. Dad put our name, or his name, in the drawer for us to see if we could get some tickets to a Wallabies game. Uh, Dad got offered some tickets, but it was to a quarter-final match, and so we wouldn't know who'd be playing in the game. It'd depend on who would make it through the pool rounds. And I remember Dad giving me a phone call to see if uh, we wanted to take the tickets on the off chance that it would be a game that we wanted to see anyway. But we didn't want to really take that chance, so we decided against it and we let the tickets go. Dumb mistake. Yeah, I know. The quarterfinal was a game uh, that had Wales in it. They played the All Blacks. And to this day, it remains one of the best games of rugby ever played. I was watching it at home on my tiny television. And at halftime, I rang my dad to make sure he was watching it. It was such a brilliant game of rugby. But I have always had regret about that game because I could have been there. I wish we'd said yes. Have you ever had something like that in your life? You know, something that you wish you'd said yes to. Or maybe you've got regret about something that you wish you said no to. You know, something you've done but you wish you hadn't. You've got regrets. In the bit of Hebrews we're up to, God doesn't want us to have any regrets when it comes to his kingdom. God really doesn't want us to miss out on what he's got in store. And so in our verses this morning, he gives us two warnings. Now, warnings come in two basic types. Uh, There's the warning that, you know, what's coming is so good, and so you want to make sure you don't miss out. So the, the positive warning. So, for example, you know, make sure you eat all your dinner, because if you do, you get to have dessert. The second type of warning is the negative warning where if you do this, then terrible things will happen. So, you know, go beyond this fence and you'll probably fall off the cliff. Now, both of these types of warnings can be very motivating and both types are in our verses today. And swinging off what we saw last week in the first half of chapter 12, can you remember that, where the writer acknowledges that keeping our trust in Christ will be hard? These warnings are urging us to keep going in our faith in him. And we're to be making sure that we all keep our faith in Christ. We're to see that we all do because it's worth it. So let's let's take a look at the first warning, and it's a positive warning. It's a warning about missing something great. Specifically, warning us about missing the glorious grace of God. So pick it up there in verse 14. Verse 14, make every effort. To live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. In these verses, what God has in store for us is to see the Lord and to receive his grace in full. Now, in a little bit, we'll see something of just how good this is. But even in just those two descriptions, to see the Lord, to receive his grace in full. And so we're being warned here to see to it that none of us miss out 
on God's grace. We're to make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Instead of being a church family filled with bitterness that causes division, we're to pursue peace and holiness among each other, to make sure that none of us give up on following Christ because what God has in store is glorious. And to illustrate the point, the writer now gives us the example of Esau from the Old Testament. Because Esau, he had the grand promises of God in front of him, but in utter stupidity, he turned his back on them. And so he did miss out. And we're not to be like him. Look at it there from verse 16. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal, sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. Now, as far as dumb mistakes go, this one's right up there. Literally, for a bowl of casserole, he gave up on his birthright. And it was no ordinary birthright. Remember, Esau is the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham. This family had the promises of God as their birthright. The promises of greatness and blessing and the salvation of the entire world. Bill Gates can't give an inheritance this rich. And Esau turned his back on it all. You can read about it in Genesis 25. Uh, Esau, he comes in from hunting one day and he's really, really hungry. His younger brother, Jacob, you know, is cooking up some casserole. And so Esau demanded, you know, give me some of the food. Jacob bargains with him. Give me your birthright and I'll give you some stew. It's like saying, give me a Porsche and I'll give you this matchbox car. Esau despised his birthright so much. He had such little interest in the promises of God that he, he said yes. And for a bowl of stew, sold his inheritance. And so he missed out on the sharing in God's promises. And the writer's reminding us of this to make sure that we don't make the same dumb mistake. Don't trivialise God's promise of eternal life. Don't be so godless as to be driven in this life by the things of this world. Whether it's your empty stomach or your empty wallet or your empty self-esteem, or your lack of friends, or whatever, don't turn your back on Christ for anything. And to further impress this upon us, the writer gives us another illustration from the Old Testament. This time he reminds us of what Israel had with God back at Mount Sinai. Because in some sense, what Israel had with God at Mount Sinai, it was spectacular. But the writer wants us to see that what we have in Christ is so much better. So we wouldn't want to miss out. We wouldn't want any of us to miss out. So first, let's have a look at what Israel had with God at Mount Sinai. Verse 18. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom and storm, to a trumpet blast, or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. 
When Israel came to God at Mount Sinai, it was spectacular. The very God who had just powerfully rescued them out of slavery in Egypt was now before them. But as well as being spectacular, it was also terrifying. The mountain covered in fire and smoke, a great storm and darkness, a heavenly trumpet blast and the very voice of God thundering so that all could hear. It was a terrible, booming voice that the people begged would stop Even Moses trembled with fear. That's what Israel had with God at Mount Sinai. But that's not what it's like for us. What we have now in Christ is far better. And what we will have in Christ is far better. And so, of course, we don't want any of us to miss out. Verse 22. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, To the city of the living God. You've come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. To the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men. To the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. And to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Brothers and sisters, that's what we've come to. And quickly, let me work our way through them. We've come to Mount Zion, the heavenly city of the living God. In other words, we've come to God himself. We've come to thousands of angels in joyful assembly, not to a terrifying voice that the people want to stop. We've come to the celebrating voices of the angels of God. We've come to the church and to the spirits of righteous men. We've come with all of God's people from all history to be with God in heaven right now. We've come to God himself, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, which means the complete forgiveness of sins, being brought into the actual presence of God. And we can approach the living God with boldness, with confidence, We've come to the sprinkled blood of Christ that speaks of forgiveness and salvation, not the blood of Abel, which speaks of revenge and death. This is what we have come to. And one day it'll not just be spiritually true, but physically true. We'll be given new bodies at the resurrection to take our place fully in the celebrations of Christ Jesus, to join with the angels and all of God's precious people in a new world, face to face with the living God, with his son, the Lord Jesus, filled with his spirit in eternal peace and righteousness and joy and wonder. That's that's what's in store. All because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his death in our place. It is only the grace of God, verse 15, it's the grace of God that we are looking forward to. His son taking flesh to die in our place for our sin. It is only through him and no one else, no one else but Jesus can bring us to all of this. We don't deserve it, can't demand it, we'll never earn it. But by the grace of God in Christ Jesus, this is what we've come to. When we come to Christ, we have something far better than Mount Sinai. And so, brothers and sisters, we are to see to it that no one misses the grace of God. This is too wonderful for words. We don't want anyone here to miss out on this. And so if you're here this morning 
and you don't know if you've come to God in Christ, if you don't know this future that's yours, then make sure you come and chat to me afterwards because we want to make sure, you want to make sure. And if you have already come to all of God's riches in Christ, then then don't walk away from him, will you? And help us all to do the same. When things are going well for us, remind us that all good things come from God. When things are going rough for us, remind us that God is still in control and his love is constant. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus because what we have come to in Christ is so grand, we don't want any of us to miss out. That's the first warning. See to it that none of us miss out on the grand grace of God. Brings us to the second warning. First warning was a warning about uh, missing something great. The second warning, this is the negative warning. It's a warning about refusing someone great. Because if you refuse God, then what lies ahead for you is terrible in the extreme. And to help us appreciate this warning, the writer again takes us back to Mount Sinai to remind us of how scary it was for Israel and how terrible it was for them if they chose to defy God, but that the terror of their situation was nothing compared to what will come for those who refuse God now. It will seem as child's play. And so we are to see to it that none of us refuse God. Verse 25. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. That was a good time for the microphone to come back in, wasn't it? (laughs) Now, friends, if we can just get into the seriousness of the verses, because these verses aren't laughing matter. I know what we just said was laughing. I'm not rebuking anybody, please. But these verses are really serious. When God spoke to Israel from earth at Mount Sinai, it was terrifying. The earth shook. In Exodus 19, hopefully you saw it when Paul read it for us, the mountain trembled violently is what we're told. Just imagine that, standing at the base of a mountain as it heaves and shakes. When Mount Sinai shook, the Israelites were terrified. God spoke to them and said that no one was allowed to go up on the mountain. They weren't even allowed to touch it. If they did, they would die to refuse the God who spoke to them from earth, to disregard his word and do whatever you wanted. It meant losing your life. Seriously scary stuff. But that's not what we'll have to deal with. Not even close. For Israel, God spoke in a way that meant just Mount Sinai shook. At the coming of Christ on the judgment day, God's word will shake all creation. Not just a mountain. Not even just planet earth. 
but the sun and the stars, all creation will heave and shake. Verse 26 again. At that time, that's the time of Mount Sinai with Israel, at that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken. That is, created things. So that what cannot be shaken may remain. The quote there in, uh, in those verses from Haggai is referring to a time when God's judgment will fall and all the kingdoms of the earth will melt away like, mac, at, like wax. At the mighty roar of God, the universe itself, creation, will shake and quake and crumble. If you're on the wrong side of God on that day, you'll, you'll wish for just Mount Sinai to be shaking you'll wish for Mount Sinai to fall on you. The coming day of judgment is almost too scary to contemplate. And it just makes a mockery of the idea that we can just front up to God and she'll be right. You know, me and the big fella upstairs, we're Jack. It's cool. Haven't done anything too bad. Might not have paid him a whole lot of attention, but, you know, I'm a pretty good bloke. Seriously. You want to try that line on the God who will wrap up this planet with a whisper. And with a shout, he'll take out our solar system. And with a mighty roar, he'll dissolve into dust the countless galaxies that make up our universe. If you think you can just front up to God at the end of your life and just waltz into heaven, you have... No idea who you're talking with. No idea who you're dealing with. As I said before, if you're in any way unsure about whether or not you're on the right side of God, come and talk to me over morning tea. Because you can be safe with God. And you can know that you are. All because of Jesus. And you don't want to face God when he shakes the heavens and the earth. Because on that day, the entire universe will be removed. But not everything will go. Did you notice that in verse 27? All creation will be shaken, end of verse 27, so that what cannot be shaken will remain. Now, what could possibly survive the universe-ending judgment of God? Only the kingdom of God. Because it can't be shaken. It can't be removed. It lasts forever. And for those of us who trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, the kingdom of God is our kingdom. It's where we belong. And that's where we're going. Verse 28. Therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken... Let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe for our God is a consuming fire. The judgment of God is coming. His fire to consume all creation. He will right every wrong. He will bring every evil deed to account. And for those of us who trust in Christ, this is good news. Because by his death for our sins, the Lord Jesus has already righted our wrongs. 
He's already brought every evil deed of ours to account. Because of Christ, we're already in the kingdom of God. And so when he comes to exact his perfect justice, we'll be welcomed in by the grace of God. And so those who trust in Christ, we look forward to this day. And we're living now filled with thankfulness, gladly worshipping our God with reverence and awe. And next week we'll think about how we'll see some of the practicalities of how we can live this out. For now, though, we're to be seeing to it that none of us miss the grace of God. We're to see to it that none of us refuse our God who speaks. We're to be heeding the warnings. And so, brothers and sisters, if you know someone who is drifting away from Jesus in danger of turning their backs on the living God, if you know someone like that, then talk to them about it. This is far too important to skirt around the edges or to put off having this conversation for fear of hurting someone's feelings. You've got to talk to them about it. This is real. And we're not trying to make people feel small. We're not trying to make ourselves look better than others. We're just trying to see to it that none of us miss the grace of God, that none of us refuse our God who speaks because his goodness, it's too wonderful. And his wrath is too terrifying. And so we don't want any of us to miss out on God's kingdom. Now, through the course of looking at Hebrews throughout this year, we've thought a little bit about how we can go about encouraging each other to keep our faith in Christ. So this morning, I just want to take a slightly different tack, and I want us to also think about how we can make it easier for others to encourage us. Because the kinds of conversations I'm talking about aren't the easiest ones to have. You know, Frank, I'm a bit worried that you're drifting away from Jesus... Is that true? Could be a little awkward, couldn't it? It's not everyone's kind of conversation that they're happy with. And so, brothers and sisters, let me ask you. Have you got anyone in your life who knows where you're at? If you were in danger of drifting away from Christ, would anyone know? Is there even one person who, in a sense, you've allowed them to ask you the hard questions and to warn you if need be? Because you might be sitting here this morning and you're thinking you're doing fine when it comes to your following of Christ. And if that's true, praise God. That is a wonderful thing. What about in the next five years, the next ten years? What if down the track... You're drifting away from Jesus. You would want someone to talk to your future self to help you get back on track with Christ, wouldn't you? Right here and now, we know how serious it is to keep our faith in the Lord Jesus. So you would want someone to warn you and urge you if you were in danger of drifting away from Jesus. Would anyone know? Who have you got in your life that could warn you about the danger you'd be in? We need to let people into our lives, to share with them, to be willing to listen to them, to develop a level of safety and assurance in the friendship so that we can talk about real things together. 
we can genuinely spur each other on and warn each other if need be. So help others love you. Give some people permission to speak openly with you. Because if we all do this, then we'll be able to see to it that none of us miss the grace of God. That none of us walk away from the wonder of eternal life in the new creation. And we'll be able to see to it that none of us refuse our God who speaks. That none of us have to face the awful judgment of God Almighty. So brothers and sisters, let's see to it. Let's see to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us such clarity and conviction in the truth of your word. Help us to genuinely appreciate and to feel the weight of what is coming, both the glory of your new creation and the terror of your coming judgment in wrath. That, Father, we would so love you and so love one another to help each other, to make sure that none of us, none of us turn our back on Jesus. Father, right here and now, we acknowledge that there is only you and your Son and that by your Spirit we exist here today as your people and so we pray that you would work powerfully amongst us and through us, that we would stand firm in Christ Jesus and your grace to us in him. For his praise and glory we pray. Amen.